Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give, and there's no regular commitment. Just click the link in the show description to support now. Hey, hey, stop, 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 stop. Wait. Have you listened to the previous episode already? Because if you haven't, fucking go back and listen to it. God damn. And then listen to this episode. If you already have listened to the last episode, that's fine. You're awesome. (laughs) Thank you for waiting so patiently. And here is part two of my lecture in Vienna. Enjoy. This is Melina Lee Williams Haas. I deeply appreciate you listening and taking the time to hang out with me. I will be addressing issues of life, the universe, and everything that are often bogged down and mired in shame and grief, and talk about how they can be repackaged to be useful and gorgeous and fucking awesome for you. So, sit back and relax, or, you know what? Sit up and freak out. However, you prefer to listen. Let's go. So we were having a very long conversation before this event here and talking a lot about intersectionality and diversifying spaces. And this is what you're going to talk about. (laughs) I like talk about this. Talk about this, yes. Um, Well, it was interesting because one of the things that I know is that I don't know, right? I don't know what the scene is like here in Vienna. I don't know culturally what it's like being in the kink scene here. Um, But what I do know is that you have far less access to particular types of diversity than many people in America, right? So if I walk into a space in Vienna and I see all white people and I'm like, why is all white people? What the fuck is going on here? I have to remember that the ratio of brown faces to white faces is different here than it will be, for example, in New York City or in San Francisco. So I want to acknowledge that, right? I also want to acknowledge that diversity happens on different fronts in different ways for different people. And what needs to be said first and foremost is that understanding that diversity for its own sake is actually still fucking valuable. A lot of people want to do this thing where they're like, oh, you're just paying lip service. You're just doing it because you're woke and you want to. And I'm like, I don't give a shit why you're doing it. I don't care. If the end result is I see a more balanced and nuanced group of people in an event, great. If your motivation is financial, I don't care. More diversity means more people. And if that's your motivation that you're like, yeah, I can get more money. Great. I don't feel like your motivation has to be pure. I feel like the end result needs to be important and diversity for its own sake is important. It's about safety and it's about um, empathy as well. How it's about empathy is pretty obvious. You want everyone to have access to all the cool shit. And sexual liberation is cool shit. We want everyone to have access to it. That's great. But for a lot of people, understanding how it benefits them is important. How does it benefit you? Because everyone wants to think that they're so generous and whatever else. We are selfish little grubby monkeys. 
ultimately first, foremost, and last. Okay. So I know I need to tell people, how does it benefit you? Well, here's how it does. Let's say I show up at a party and I am the only Brown person there. And there are three or four people who are like, I'd like to play with this person. They seem interesting. And I know that this person has been educated. They've gone to classes. They've learned to tie rope properly. They've gone to a knife play demo. They know how to do knife play. Well, they've got their eggs in the same basket when it comes to safety and everything else. And they're ready to go. And they tell me I've taken classes. I'm educated. I know my shit. And I'm like, great. And they tie me up and I'm tied up and I'm feeling pretty good. And they're checking to see how my limbs are doing and whatever else. And one of the tricks that people are taught when they learn rope bondage is uh, look at someone's fingernail to see how their circulation is. Look at someone's lips to see how their circulation is. My fingernails don't look like yours. And my fingernails, while they are slightly darker, in someone who's even darker skin than I am, their fingernails might be brown. How are you going to tell if their circulation is off? If my lips are brown and you're looking for a bluish tinge, how are you going to know that my circulation is off? This community has now miseducated people in terms of my safety. You might not value the one brown body that walks in off the street, but you know who values that body? The person living in it. So diversity of education, having diverse voices in the room, means that you will hear the reality and the lived experience of people who are not you. And that is valuable and that is important. Now, a lot of people are like, well, I'm never going to. I'm like, fine, maybe you won't. But have the information. Have the information just so that you know more shit, <laughs> right? Like, I don't know, maybe it's because I was like a weird kid who went to a school for gifted kids, but I'm like, know all of the things, know as much as possible. Having diverse voices in the room means that you are more worldly. You know more. You have more information and more experience about what's going on in the world. And so first and foremost, this is critical. This is important. I was teaching a class on um, edge play and dangerous and risky types of scenes. And one of the things I was talking about, obviously, was race play, because that's all everyone wants to talk about. They're like, race play, race play, we want to talk about it. I'm like, fine. So I was talking about it. And the thing is, a lot of people assume that what I'm going to talk about is how to do it, what to do. Da, 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 da. They don't understand that I spend, if I have a 90 minute class, I spend the first 45 minutes talking about why people absolutely should not ever do these scenes. And people are like, you've spent a lot of time talking. I'm like, yeah, right. Cause I don't believe most of you are ready for it. And I was like, Oh, I'm like, no, 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 you're not. Cause here's the thing. If you have to ask me how to do it, how to approach a person of color for this, this says to me, you don't actually know any people of color. You don't have anyone in your inner circle who's a person of color. Or if you do, you don't have anyone who is a person of color who truly trusts you with the information that they're about to share. And I know that for folks in a culture like this, it's going to be difficult. However, it isn't impossible. And I know that there are people of color groups that are gaining traction that we're now getting to the point where there specifically are POC based kink and leather groups that are happening now. And once you start seeing that happening, super good sign. See how you can support those groups. Contact them and say, what can we do to help you? Do you need space? Do you need volunteers? What can I, as a person with 
not much melanin. <laughs> For a person of, I, they've seen, seen people, people keep using POC, person of color. I started calling white people POP, which is person of pallor, which is person of paleness. <laughs> Like, what can I do as a POP to help and support you? And here's the thing. Stop being afraid, white people, to fuck up. Stop it. So many, so many Caucasian folks are like, I'm so afraid of saying the wrong thing. I'm like, don't be. Say the wrong thing. You're going to fuck up. And do you know what the worst thing that will happen is? You'll hurt someone's feelings and you'll have to apologize. Has anyone died from apologizing? Anyone had heart failure, seizures, collapse, pimples? <laughs> like maybe. I don't know. <laughs> Stress makes me break out. <laughs> but the reality is so many people are so afraid of the backlash from someone being upset that they shrink themselves and don't even try. Trust and believe the average person of color has heard worse. We've heard worse. And we know if folks are trying and coming from a place of, you know what, I really want to connect here. I'm doing my best. And if you fuck up, what you say is, I apologize for, say the thing. In the future, I will say the thing. I learned this lesson from my trans friends who I misgendered someone. And I was like, oh my God, oh my God, fuck, fuck, I'm so sorry. I didn't, and I just like, and I'm, I'm vomiting my, 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 my anxiousness on them. And they were like, stop, stop. Now I have to come for you because you misgendered me. This is ridiculous. Say you're sorry. Move the fuck on. And I was like, click. Oh, cool. Thanks. So now I can go to the system. People like, system, people stop. Calm the fuck down. Say you're sorry. Move on. Because now you're making it about you. Oh, okay. Pass it on. <laughs> Pass it the fuck on. Like, and this is the thing. Most people of color feel the same way. We don't need you to protect us from your fuck ups. Just say you're sorry. If you are trying to create a more inclusive space and you're like, okay, how do I do this? Start by Googling, how do I create inclusive space? How do I fight racism? How do I do anti-racist work? Google is your friend. There are so many people who are doing the work to help to let you know how to do the work to reach out. Take advantage of that. Be the folks on the front line of making these connections and don't be afraid to fuck up because we don't hate, we don't reject, we don't spit on, we don't push back people who are sincerely making their best efforts. And if someone does do that to you, if someone does reject you, if someone does push back, take a deep breath and know that this person has been so deeply traumatized that they're not ready. And it has nothing to do with you. Don't make it about you. Don't make your whiteness about the brown people. Don't make it about you. One of the things I tell my beloved husband who was raised by Nazis, right? Like he actually just published his memoir, you know, and on the cover of the memoir, here is little tiny adorable blonde baby Georg doing the fucking Nazi salute. But when you look at his face, you see he's like, it's, it's terrible to see a child in pain crying. And this is the photo. When he showed me this photo, I was like, oh my God, Georg, 
And he was like, I don't want anyone to see this. I'm so ashamed. I'm like, you're ashamed because of what your parents did to you? Mm-mm. That's not a shameful thing. That is not a shameful thing. And what he has discovered in the intervening years since we have been together, and he was terrified to tell who he was because any Jewish friend of mine would be like, oh, you're, what, you're dating someone who was like a Nazi? What the fuck? But you know what happened? Not that. What happened was people embracing him and saying, how amazing is it that we can do this, that we can be friends, that we can hold each other and, 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 and talk about our pain. It's two different kinds of pain, but it's human suffering that both of them endured. And this is what I tell white people. I'm like, this is what happens when you open yourself up and you make yourself vulnerable. We see this and we say, we understand. I have friends who were raised in racist households and it's a struggle for them. They have to fight every day against that bigotry, but they do it because they care. And no one is going to look at that effort and that struggle. No, no human being with compassion will look upon someone who is trying to reach out and trying to bridge that gap and trying to make that connection and reject them. How could you? And if you do encounter that rejection, know it is not about you. And try to let it go and let it move on. So often people shrink away from the difficult things because they're afraid of what the outcome might be. And the reality is that's not your job. It's your job to try. It's your job to reach out. It's your job to make that effort and see what happens, right? I will remember the first time someone told me to check my privilege, I was like, I am from like the most oppressed minority in America. Hello, except for indigenous people, but okay. <laughs> I was like, how dare you? How dare you talk to me about my privilege? And they were like, you're a cisgender woman, like whether or not, like whatever, and you know, start talking about intersectionality. And I was like, Ooh, I got to take the hit. <laughs> I was like, I got to take the hit. Thank you for schooling me. You did not have to do that. But he took me aside and sat me down and was like, bitch, listen. And I was like, all right, motherfucker, lay it, bring it. Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> I was uncomfortable because I did not like someone telling me that I had done something that was inconsiderate. But I did not die. And I apologized for it. I listened to what they had to say. I thanked them for their time. And then I did the each one teach one thing and turned to the next cisgender person who said some shit. And I'm like, I got this trans people. Motherfuckers. <laughs> Which is something that I'm like, let me do this. Let me take that burden off of one more trans person and I have to be the one to do the education. You as people of power can be the one to set the stage so that the next wave of people can come through. When I first came into the kink scene in the Bay Area, I spent the first year, I saw three other black people, three. That's not a lot. That meant that day after day, week after week, I would go to events and be the only raisin in the bowl of rice pudding. Like It was just me and that was it. But here's the thing. If I said, you know what? Fuck this. Y'all didn't do your work. I'm out. When the next black person drove through, they wouldn't have seen me. And they would have said, there's no one here. But I said, you know what? I'm going to be like, you know, the lichen on the rocks. 
And then eventually there'll be like more bits of lichen and then maybe a little bit of dirt can stick. And then within 10 years, we have our own tree. And that's how it has to be. That's what you have to do. But you have to also provide the room because y'all have been running shit forever. And if you don't make room at the table and then accept the backlash, if we don't want the room at your fucking table, fuck you. And take a deep breath and say, thank you. Thank you for saying, telling me to go fuck myself. Let me straighten my shit out and I'll get back to you. (laughs) But the reality is that kicking and screaming, that discomfort is vital for growth. What growth happens without discomfort? None. Everything is uncomfortable at some point. Anyone remember being a teenager? Was that fun? Nope. It was not. Even if it's just like the constant pimples and the fucking hormonal ridiculousness. Woo! It's a lot. And then you go through it all again when you're in menopause. Yay! It's awesome. I was just like, I was telling, I was, I was telling Sarah, like so much of what I'm going through now hormonally as a middle-aged person, I was warned about by like several friends of mine who transitioned. They were just like, Oh, you think this is bad now? Just wait until And I was like, what? what? <laughs> Hormones are a lot. They're very powerful products. <laughs> Respect them. <laughs> so the reality is, All of us have privilege to some extent. And once you acknowledge that and you decide to utilize and leverage and weaponize your privilege for good shit, that's what you want to do. You want to find out where you have any power, even if it's the smallest amount, and utilize it for good. And by good, I mean good shit. And by good shit, I mean figure it out. Look around and see what's needed. Look around and see where there are gaps and holes and see what you can do. And please don't just limit yourself to people who are quote unquote in the community. One of the things that I have found that's very great about being out is that people who are not within the community feel free to talk to me about shit, feel free to come to me and ask questions. And the reality is once people know that you are doing any kind of work around sexuality, they will want to talk to you about that shit. And that gives you great opportunities to reach out to those folks and to, to, to talk about consent and to talk about negotiation and to talk about the things that are valuable and central to what we do in kink and SM communities that the rest of the world could really fucking benefit from. Right. And the, even the idea that kinky folks have that inclusivity is important is revolutionary because so often I spent my entire youth trying to convince people that, 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 that just having a blended group of people in the room was important. And they were like, yeah, well, whatever, you know, like this sort of separate but equal thing, which is very American. They love that. And I was like, this is not sufficient. This is not enough. This is not okay. We need to have all of the voices in the room. Because the reality is, you know, I remember I was once teaching a class at this at this dungeon. I hadn't thought about anything about it. Got there, showed up, left, and that night I was online. And a friend of mine was like, how did your class go? And I was like, it was really great. I'm sorry you couldn't make it. And she said, yeah, I can't get in there. Because she uses assistive devices. And I was like, oh, my God. Why didn't you say something? And she was like, ah. And I was like, oh, I'm sorry. I just made it your job. <laughs> I just made it your job because I did not think. And that was a moment of of awakening for me 
And so I started saying to people, if you do not have access, I can't teach here. I can't do it. And so I started making that part of my routine. And I was like, if all the educators did that, wouldn't you be forced to either find a space that was accessible truly, really, actually, not just like you have to go around the back to this filthy alleyway to try to get in a freight elevator, which was how one of the dungeons solved the problem. I was like, that is not a solution. Someone has to like wheel their way around like crack pipes and rats to get to this. No, that's a trash alley. That is not acceptable. You know, and if we all lean in and we all say this is not acceptable, the market must shift. If we all say we will not until everyone can, things will change. We do have that power. The idea that one drop of water doesn't do anything is bullshit. This is what they tell you so that you don't feel empowered to be the drop of water. But we have incredible power. We have the power of our money where we spend it. We have the power of peer pressure, what we tell other people we want and what is good and what is right and what is important. We have the power to make sure that everyone is in the room here. And that just makes life better and more awesome. When I stopped teaching at places where, um, where people who used assistive devices could not get in, other people were like, oh my God, I hadn't thought of that. Yeah, so then it started becoming a fucking thing. And one of the educational groups moved their classes. That's all they had to do. They were renting a space. That space was not accessible to people who used assistive devices. So they said, okay, they found another space. And now everyone could go regardless of how they move or don't. That's fucking awesome. Because then I got to have people in my classes who were sharing how their bodies sometimes were creating their own scenes. And we got to have discussions about what different physicalities um, uh, mean in the dungeon, in play. And that's fucking awesome. You know? And then folks who maybe have mobility issues who think, I can't do SM, I can't be a slave if I'm in a wheelchair. I can say, bitch, you can be a slave in an iron lung. It doesn't matter where you are. It's about what's in here. That's what this is about. You know, I was doing an edge play scene and there was a, a person in there who used a wheelchair and uh, we were talking about edge play that has to do with aspects of who we are that are challenging, right? Because like, if you do a daddy girl role play scene, no one is chronologically 10. If you're pretending to be the bad little 10-year-old who's getting their butt spanked by the evil priest, you are not actually 10 years old. This is not actually a priest, unless they are. Because <laughs> that's happened too. <laughs> I did. I was in this dungeon. I was like, that looks like a... And they were like, oh, no, he's a priest. I was like, fuck yeah. That's an awesome church. Where do they preach? So this person was sharing that they wanted to do a, um, like a crip beatdown scene. This was how they described it. They wanted to have someone kick them out of their wheelchair, drag them around, beat the shit out of them, call them all sorts of terrible names that you would call disabled people, and then fuck them with strap-ons. And you could see people in the room being like, super hot, oh my god, super Oh my God, can't decide. <laughs> but what was interesting is that as they were sharing and they were like, you know, and I, 
But I think so, whatever. And I said, thank you for sharing, super vulnerable. And they were just like, you know, and I, but I, what I said to them is you're probably going to have a bit of a difficult time finding people to do the scene with you because we have all been trained that kicking people out of wheelchairs is bad, you know. But we had this discussion again about consent. And what was interesting is that then once the consent talk began and this person said, yeah, you know, like I'm super into it. Like their enthusiasm started to bleed into the crowd. And by the time the class was out, I saw this person surrounded by seven or eight large butches. And they were just grinning from ear to ear. And I was like, that scene's going to happen. <laughs> I was like, good for you. That scene's going to happen. And I was so glad that we did this class in a space where someone not only was able to be there, but felt comfortable enough to share something that was so scary. Because that's a scary thing to share in a room full of strangers. You know, but this is what you get when you have diversity, is you have spicy excitingness. You have people who have access to folks that they may never have met in other scenarios. Right? You have people who are exploring themselves and pushing their own boundaries, and maybe they want your help in that boundary pushing. And those types of exciting scenes, that type of intimate exploration can only happen when folks feel like they have a safe home. And what you guys can do is to help to create that safe home by saying, this is our intention, this is our desire, putting that energy out there into the universe. And I know that sounds super woo-woo, crunchy, whatever, but that shit is true. You know, that whole like putting energy out there thing has been proven to be scientifically true. It is, it's true. I didn't know. And then I read about the observer effect and I was like, what the fuck, you know about that? The observer effect, short version, you can Google it, just take notes, and then you can read it in German and know more better. Ooh, that sentence deteriorated. <laughs> I didn't say that. Some scientists were doing an experiment where they were measuring the rate of atomic something, and they had a machine that was counting the atoms. This is basically a thing. It's, this is, it's more complicated, but this is the basic thing. You will understand the concept. They had a recorder that was recording, you know, taking photos of every time the photons did a thing. And then they would come in and do the observations, and then the machine would do the observations. Well, they discovered that the observations changed. Even though the exact same thing was happening, there was a shift in what they were seeing depending on whether or not a scientist was there. Observer effect. And I was like, my brain was like, so like astrology could be true, <laughs> right? Like, we don't even fucking know. Stars are energy. That's shit. Like, what if I was just like, we don't know anything. We don't know any fucking thing. Humans are just, we're just like, ugh, it's terrible. So here's the thing. If something like that can be true, how do we not know that just saying, wouldn't it be so much better if we could all be together in community with a diverse group of people who really represent the human experience? That's what I want to see. When you live in that truth and that reality, you will find ways to create that that are not known to you. But you have to want it and you have to open yourself to doing what it takes to get it and you have to see the value in it. The intrinsic value of having a more diverse group of people around you. And you have to really believe that that is valuable and important. 
Because when people say to me, we just want diversity, we want to, you know, like there was a group in New York, they were like, come and teach a class on diversity. Our class, our groups are so white and so whatever and whatever. I'm like, okay, great. So what are you doing to, to what well, we put in like, okay, so you put announcements in the same places that you always put on. What are you doing to reach the brown people who are doing that? Well, it's like, okay, so you haven't really done anything. You just sort of wished for it, but didn't do anything. I can wish for a degree in astrophysics all day. Probably not. <laughs> you know, I can wish for the perfect dominant to fall out of the sky onto my head and swoop me up and sweep me off my feet. Probably not going to get it if I don't do something like date. You got to do shit. Figure out what you need to do. I can't feed you this. But if you truly desire that intersection of gender and racial and ethnicity and body type and ability and disability, you have to want it in a way that is inviting. And you have to really truly want it for yourself. You have to be a little bit selfish and say, I want to see this. That's what is going to make my life better. How do I do that? How do you put yourself out there? How do you find the people? You know, and for, and I'll tell you, for example, in one case, the solution, which is very interesting, the SM, the, the SM and leather scene um, in the Washington, D.C. area was very white. Do you know what wasn't very white? The swinger community. The swinger community was very integrated for very fascinating reasons. <laughs> Because apparently there were tons of white women who needed a lot of big black dick. And so there were a lot of gentlemen with uh, penises that were big and black <laughs> who were very happy to oblige this fantasy, right? Like the BBC fantasy is a big thing. What started happening was these guys started showing up to parties. They're like, hey, this is fun. Yeah, we get one. And then they started bringing their girlfriends and their partners. And then, th th then this cross-pollination started. Because there were swingers who were like, I like spanking too, but I can't do anything too crazy at the swinger party. I'm like, you can do what the fuck you want over here. And bang the white ladies. It's a win-win. <laughs> so what was interesting about that is that people solved this problem by literally thinking outside the box and saying, this community has a lot of, is more diverse than ours. How can we get them over here? And I was like, that's awesome. It was very funny, too, because some people were, like, very scandalized. They were like, oh, my gosh, you're fetishizing black men's penises. And I'm like, they're consensually fetishizing black men's penises. That's okay. <laughs> because, again, if someone's like, fetishize my dick, the consent has been given. Fucking do it. Don't randomly do it. <laughs> I mean, you know, very off-putting. Right. Um, but this is the thing with consent, with enthusiastic consent, with negotiated consent, with saying this is what I want. Is this something that seems juicy and interesting to you? So much opens up in your world and in the world of the people around you. I don't feel like I have to explain why that's valuable, necessary or, or vital to the survival and the thriving of a community. I feel like that's pretty fucking obvious, you know. It's just so much more grounded in reality because the world 
when it rolls right, when the world is rolling right, you look around and you see all sorts of humans around you. I didn't realize, I grew up in New York City, you were forced to see everyone around you. There will be millionaires and homeless people next to each other on the fucking train every day. That's just life. And so when I started going places and I saw completely homogenous communities, I was like, whoa, this exists? Wow, that's got to be, that's a lot. It just doesn't feel right to me. You know, I want to see all of humanity. I want to learn from everyone. And some of that is selfish. I think it's fantastic. There's so much I learn from people who, for example, have different sort of cognitive issues in terms of how they handle sensory overload, for example, you know, um, learning from people who have disabilities in terms of movement, in terms of sitting, in terms of standing, it changes the way dungeons are set up. You know, I stopped walking into dungeons and sawing nowhere to sit. And let me tell you, once you like hit your fifties, you're just like, Oh my God, get me that chair. <laughs> Thank you. But what about the folks who just can't stand for periods of time? You know, the fact that people started thinking, how do I lay this dungeon out so that it's acceptable and usable for everyone or for more people? And you start to have people saying, don't have the fucking music so loud I have to scream. Turn up the lights a little so I can see better. Make sure there's places to sit. Make sure that there's plenty of water around so people can hydrate properly. Ask folks to not wear cologne to the dungeon. You know, these small things make it so that more people have a better time and feel welcome. And you're not going to know these things unless someone tells you. And the people who are going to tell you are the people who need those adjustments and need that reality. They need to exist in this space in order to have their lives be optimal. Does that make sense? So, yeah, I think I covered the thing. You did. Okay. <laughs> time. It is seven four. Oh my God, it's seven forty one. I'm so sorry. I just feel like I'm just like. Does anyone have any questions, comments, thoughts, feelings? I have a question. Yay! Question. There's a question. I'm gonna drink some water. Um, <laughs> <laughs> You're throwing your voice. Ah, worst question ever. <laughs> uh, so race play, and everyone has their own definition. But since I'm like one of maybe two people right now who is talking about, it, I'm like, I'm gonna give you my definition. My definition is the best definition. <laughs> Race play is um, BDSM, kink, leather, or fetish play that involves either the real or assumed racial or ethnic identity of the players. Race or ethnicity is an integral part of the scene. So, for example, if you are spanking someone, not a race play scene. If you are whipping someone, not a race play scene. If you are a white person whipping a black person um, in the manner of a punishment whipping because they are a bad slave, that is a race play scene. Now, personally, I will tell you that I do not believe it is possible 
to do a scene without acknowledging the racial and ethnic identity of the people who are playing. Part of it is because that can have an impact on safety. Like my skin reacts differently to different kinds of wounds, right? If you cut me, I can get a keloid scar that I might have for the rest of my life. So I don't do knife play. I don't do piercing scenes that are not with very fine needles because with big needles, I will have a scar, right? So for me, a race play scene is pretty much any scene. Um, but specifically scenes or, um, or interactions that deliberately focus on the ethnic, the ethnic or racial identity of the people is what a race play scene is. Did that, do you, is that a, is that cool? You're like, yeah, kind of, sort of, what, what, yeah, it's, do you, what, what, talk to me, what else, what, what part of, what part is, wait, 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 wait. <laughs> let them keep the mic, we'll just have this whole conversation, no, now you have to say it, <laughs> I'm just saying, like you said, it's also assumed race, no? so it doesn't need to be an actual race of a person. Correct. So, so for this is correct. Now, do I encourage that? I do not. However, if that was something that you wanted to do in the privacy of your own fucking house, knock yourself out. Please don't apply makeup to yourself to try to assume another race. That's just super awkward. But, um, for example, if uh, uh, I was doing, I was doing a class on taboo and edge play in uh, Ireland, and we were talking about like, and I said, this doesn't necessarily have to be about who you actually are. I said you could, for example, I was like, y'all are all so white though. Y'all are like the whitest of white. You know, I said, I said, oh, but for example, you could do an edge play scene where one of you is Catholic and the other is Protestant. I hear you guys had a few issues with that for a while. And they were all like, oh, that's fucked up. <laughs> but like I saw a few light bulbs going off over the head. So, so for example, you can do a race play scene with people of any different kind of racial identity. It just has to do with the tension and the story you have created. And there are some people who are like, you should never, ever, never, whatever. But I'm like, this is your imagination. This is what is in your mind. If I do an age play scene, I am not saying I am, I am not 10 years old. I am assuming this identity because it's part of the scene. So if someone wanted to do a scene, and have that experience where they were like, I, I, I'm curious to see what a scene would be like if I were verbally abused because of my identity. I'm just curious to see what that's like and do that scene. I think that that could be a very valuable exploration. So that's why I say it doesn't necessarily have to be who you actually are. Now, it doesn't mean that you can do a scene where you pretend to be a slave and then come to me on Monday and say, I understand. I understand now. <laughs> Don't do that. <laughs> However, if you have the experience yourself and you do it and that gives you some insight, great. I think that people should utilize whatever tools they have to gain more understanding and empathy. Um, 
So yeah, there is a flexibility there. There is the capacity to utilize your imagination and to explore in that way. And yeah, and this is what I tell people. I'm like, probably keep it to yourself. You don't have to tell everybody everything. If you're doing your little secret, you know, I don't know, I'm a, oh, I was about to tell, I was like, oh, but you're in Austria. I was like, roll that one back. <laughs> no, I'm not. If you're pretending to be a Jew that's been like captured by an evil Nazi, fucking do it even if you're not a Jew. Because you know what? That seemed A, hot, B, interesting, C, relevant to your interests regardless. You want to do the scene when you pretend to be a slave who's been captured by the evil white master? Knock yourself out. I do not believe that doing these type of, they're psychodramas. It's a psychodrama. I believe that doing them in a way that is safe and private and not impacting the other people who are living in that experience can be interesting for you and valuable. Does that make sense? Okay. Thank you. That was an awesome question. I was just fucking with you when I said it was a terrible question. <laughs> I just wanted to make it clear. It is my sense of humor. I was not actually upset. Uh, yeah, okay, we got like almost like 13 minutes. Um, questions come up. I want to make sure that if people came here with like things they really wanted to ask, that, they, that there's time for that. Because I can just talk for an indefinite period of time. The limit does not exist. <laughs> there are like two words. Talk about bugs in the mud. Oh my God, mud bugs. Let me tell you. <laughs> this is the problem. Yes. No, you're not sorry. I won't accept your apology. But at the beginning, you spoke about, um, you mentioned that you really
no way, bro. And I was like, that's cool. If you change your mind, let me know. Left that I was just like, I'm not, woo. He had such a strong reaction, understandably. Um, we were at the first kink event we went to together and some, he was chatting up some hot young thing and, uh, and they said, Oh, are you playing this weekend? And he was like, Oh, are you interested? Da, da, da. And then they were like, do you do like interrogation scenes? And he was like, Ugh. and he looked to me and I was like, interrogation scenes, like, you know, like when Nazis would scream and people tied to chairs. Have you seen any James Bond movies? No? Fuck. Okay. <laughs> he has like no cultural references. I'm like, oh my God. Um, and he was like, oh, I, but the thing is, I was like, oh, so like now you see some hottie in front of you and now you're thinking about it. All right. But this was what happened is that over the course of the, the intervening two or three years, he started becoming involved in the community, started seeing that people were playing with very dangerous psychological shit and doing so for various and different reasons. I have a friend who's a dear friend of mine who I've known since I first came into the scene. She is Jewish. Half of her family was destroyed in the Holocaust. And um, I told this to Georg, uh, and I said, and he was like, oh, um, should I meet her? And I'm like, of course. He didn't kill her fucking family. He says, but my family did. And it was interesting because in America, we don't have Georgs, right? We only have the heroes. We don't have the people who were the perpetrators of the crimes. And the reality is, the generational trauma of the perpetrators is also very heavy. And I don't think people consider that. So um, when they met, they, you know, of course, because he's gay, or the first thing he's like, I'm sorry. And he was like apologizing on behalf of his ancestors. And she was like, oh, okay. And they're embracing and everyone's crying. And I'm like, this is kind of cool. And what he learned was that not a single Jewish person who lost their family uh, did anything except say, wow, how great is it that you reject that? Look at what you've done. You changed the story. You took that trauma and turned it around. And this is what's remarkable, and that's very powerful. Fast forward to maybe three years later, and I had to do, I was doing a class on taboo play, and I was going to do a demo. But there's very few things that are more difficult than speaking to a class, turning around and doing a demo, and then having to explain the demo. It's a lot. And so um, I decided I was going to have someone else do a demo on um, uh, uh, edgy race play. And so um, I came up with the idea, because now Georg and my friend had started talking about maybe doing a scene. I said, would you guys be willing to do a very brief demo? for this class and they just and they both said yes that they were going to do this and they did the demo and it was very amazing i'll talk about it in a little bit but the most important thing was that afterwards they were able to embrace and look each other in the eye with love and that moment when his ancestors and her ancestors and it gives me chills were brought to reality in that moment in love and respect healed something for both of them. A little, a little bit of a wound closed up that day, you know, and that was especially remarkably uh, gorgeous, beautiful to watch. 
Yeah. The, the funny part, and you guys being Austrians will appreciate this, especially Gerig was like, I can't say that shit to her. I can't say it. And I said, look, scream it in German. No one speaks German. They won't know. She doesn't speak German. You can say anything. So he's like, okay. So when we got to do the class, I actually did stand up and I said, we're going to do a demo, but I need to know if anyone here speaks German. And hilariously, because there was like 200 and change people there, there were three people who did speak German. And I was like, I need to talk to you guys because otherwise you're going to ruin the scene. So I brought them up. We had a conversation and then they were like, yeah, okay, got it. They went and sat back down. We did the demo and the demo was just her sitting in a chair and him addressing her. That was the whole thing. He didn't touch her once. But he stands in front of her and just starts with the thing. And it was like someone punched her in the stomach. She was, and it was just like, and you felt like the air go out of the room and he's just getting red in the face and the spittle's flying. And she, within 30 seconds, was destroyed. And this goes on for a while and he, you know, walks around her, does the whole thing. It's very intimidating. It's very scary. And then, you know, she safe words out of the scene. She taps out. They stop. He picks her up. And then they're both just like, they just melted into each other. It was so amazing to see. And so I like, took a minute and everyone was just like, fuck, oh my God. And then, you know, I was like opening the class up to questions and people were like, that was amazing. It was so moving. And then the second person's like, why did you have to talk to the German people? Why did you do that at the beginning of the demo? And I said, well, it's because Georg is such a delicate flower that he could not bring himself to say all the things that he was raised to believe. He could not hear the voices of his parents and his grandparents. So what he was actually screaming was a recipe for beef soup. <laughs> and the Germans are like, you don't know how hard it was. As she's like, ah, and he's like, do not overboil the broth. You will ruin the soup. <laughs> slice the beef thin, slice it thin. <laughs> the Germans are just like in the back, like. <sighs> Meanwhile, the Americans are like shaking in terror. <laughs> and someone was like, oh my God, you mind fucked the entire class. And I was like, I did. A mind fuck is a scene where you get people to believe one thing that is not true. Yeah. So like a mind fuck scene would be if someone's blindfolded and you tell them you're running a knife along their chest and it's actually just a butter knife that you held an ice cube to. So it's extra cold, you know, and then the water drips down and they think they're being cut. Right. Like that's a mind fuck. So this mind fuck was that people thought that some horrible Nazi abuse was going on and really they were just learning about Austrian beef soup, <laughs> which I do love. <laughs> Don't get me wrong. I love a good beef soup. I do not love how it needs to boil for like four days though. Oh my God. Whew. Four days of beef is a lot. Uh, oh my God. It's almost eight. Um, who does anyone else have any questions, thoughts? Do our hosts feel that their subject matter was treated well and respectfully? Okay, good. Yes. They're like, no, we hate you. <laughs> um, 
I want to say first and foremost, thank you so much for having me and for being like just a gorgeous audience. Like I just literally felt so connected to everyone in this room, which doesn't happen often. So thank you for being so present and so amazing. I got so much out of this room tonight. So yay! thank you. Um, secondly, I have a website, kinkdoula, K-I-N-K-D-O-U-L-A.com. If you want to check out stuff, I have uh, it's a free class on there if you sign up for the mailing list. And I do like consulting and chatting with people if they want to talk about pervert shit, my other, my other side gig. Um, and uh, I also have a lot of information on uh, Molina.com, also known as the perverted negress.com, just to make people uncomfortable. <laughs> And I have some um, classes and videos and story shit on there if you want to see more of that. Uh, and what else? Oh, I'm doing two more classes this week, actually. Yeah. At the Crucible. And what? The Crucible. Um, Crucible is a new queer space in Vienna. Yeah. If you um, look at... I, I don't have the dates. I think... It's tomorrow. tomorrow. <laughs> the dates are tomorrow and the day after that. Um, I'm trying to think of the best... Their whole announcement system is a little bit low-key right now. If you go to um, my website, if you go to kinkdoula.com, I think I put up the information for the site, for the, for the, for the classes. Let me take a look here. Do-do-do-do-do-do. Oh, I rearranged my phone, and I can't find my own fucking tabs. Disgraceful. Let me see if I gave my information to my web person. What, I don't have signal? is terrible. What is happening? Oh, I'm on Wi-Fi, that's why. Um, what is a good, is there a mail, how can I tell people about this? I don't even know. I'm not good at publicity. There's no internet connection. I think it's on your Instagram as well. You posted it. I did post it on Instagram. I posted it also on my Facebook. Um, and I did post it on my Instagram. That's true. So if you look for Melina Lee Williams Haas, you will find it. And it's tomorrow in the afternoon. I tomorrow think? in the evening. evening. Tomorrow, I think at like seven thirty or something. And um, it's also very uh, affordable. So I think twenty-two or twenty-five euros per person. And <sighs> look it up. Yeah, go look it up. If you can't find it and you're like, fuck this hoe, why did she say this fucking thing and then I can't fucking find it? Um, everyone here on Facebook, if you can, my Facebook shit is very public. So if you look on me on Facebook, you will also be able to see it. Or on Instagram, um, yes. But it would be cool if people want to show. I don't even know if people are coming to this. I'm just like, it's this new group in this new place and I'm just like, <laughs> um, So yeah, that's tomorrow and then also on uh, Friday. Is that right? What's tomorrow? Thursday? Yeah. Yes, I have two classes, one Thursday, one Friday. Um, one is on, uh, one is called Shy Freaks, BDSM for Introverts and Shy People and Weirdos. And it's basically like me, like, cheering you on for an hour. <laughs> you can do it. You can do the thing. Um, <laughs> I hate doing the thing, and I still do the thing. <laughs> Um, and then I think the other one is on edge play. So I will be diving more into the fucked up shit. If you're ready for the fucked up shit. <laughs> 
So, um, yeah, so thank you so much. If you did have any questions or comments or thoughts or other bullshit and you're just like, you couldn't say it up front, um, my uh, email address for that sort of thing is kinkdoula at AOL.com. I know, it's so old school. People are like, AOL still, I'm like, yeah, they fucking do. I just wanted to like have that feeling of oldness. <laughs> I'm just like, I'm middle-aged now. I have an AOL account. I wonder if my old AOL account still exists. Oh my God, what's even in there? Ancient emails. <laughs> Ancient emails. From far back as 2004. Uh, yeah, so thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you for coming. Thank you. You've been listening to All That and Mo. Thanks so much for spending your precious, precious time with me today. My podcast is produced by Cody Crabb. Theme music by Georg Friedrich Haas, as performed by Marcus Weiss. And I look forward to spending time with you again really soon. Mm-hmm.